everyone. Welcome back for a brand new edition of, I almost said Collider Ladies Night. It's one of those days. The witching <laughs> hour. Jeez. I was QC the video today, crazy. so I must have watched that opening of the latest one like 10 times, and I was just caught up in the rhythm. Oy vey. Collider Witching Hour with myself, Perry Nemiroff, and my wonderful co-host, Haley Fouch. Hi, Haley. Hi. How you doing? Yeah. Aside from the, the ladies' night brain. <laughs> I was wondering how long it would take that to happen one way or the other. Well, I think this is the better one to do it on, probably. <laughs> and like when you have major talent and you're like, what show am I on? I'll give I'll give you a good behind the scenes flub. So I feel like I've done this with you where we were talking about L. Callahan's witch hunt and I probably said witchcraft. I don't even know how many times I did that during the intro of that interview for South by Southwest and the publicist who thankfully I know fairly well. So wasn't super embarrassed in front of had to be like, hold up. We should probably redo that intro. You said witchcraft again. I'm like, oh shit. I did, didn't I? It happens. (laughs) Human brains are incredibly fallible and we should be more forgiving of ourselves. It's impossible to avoid. That is true. I should, I should learn that lesson at some point. Well, you know, it's like those, uh, those typey things we always get wrong. I've talked about murdery mystery and Captain American. And the other day you and I were talking about the winter solider. Yes. Is the new one. I and heard that all the time. A very specific horror one that's been haunting me lately is The Boys from County Hell, which my fingers will absolutely every time first type Country Hell. Oh. Every, every time. Okay. I can understand that. I wish I had that problem and not my solider problem. <laughs> I feel like I might have been typing that title a lot less, but I've had, I have a lot of Captain, uh, I have a lot of Falcon and the Winter Solider uh, articles to write. So, yes, you do. Get, so, get you'll, right. you'll get it, or maybe you won't. I've never stopped doing Captain American in 10 I years. <laughs> and I love, I love when I get in the habit of typoing something and I put it into our tag field in the back end and I see that other people do it too and it validates my typo habit. <laughs> like the last, one of the last ones was um, that I, I saw back there. It's probably been deleted since, but it was uh, Benedict Cumberpatch. <laughs> <laughs> the, the name that keeps on giving. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. We have a lot of news stories to hit today. Yeah, there's, I mean, there was actually I, a lot of news. There's a lot. And I, I feel like this keeps we keep saying this every time we have a new news episode. Uh, but there was a whole lot. And like it definitely you can feel the industry returning to its peak. I feel like in the amount of casting stories going out, new films being announced. It's it's a weird, it's a weird, but very exciting feeling. I started to get emails with in-person screening options. They're, they're doing right now, any email I got with an in-person screening option also came with a link option, which I greatly appreciate because even though I do have both shots, like I'm not there yet and I'm not doing that yet. So I appreciate having both options, but just seeing that email at all is 
it's getting me kind of excited. I it is it is uh, well you know we all have the excites and I personally I think many people do have the anxieties to the yes. like uh, the re-entering society. Am I still a functional human? Anxiety. I know I I think about that a lot. Like I think I think about all of the um, the otter habits that I've gotten into over the past year that like. I wonder when I'm out and about and in the groove, if I'm automatically going to repeat those things rather than know that like you are in public, you shouldn't make those faces anymore. Well, I know my big thing so far is uh, the like being so used to being so far away from people that trying to navigate crowded spaces, I've lost all ability for it. And I feel like I'm going to crash into anyone who's like less than six feet away from me when I'm walking by them. I am going to get my first semi-test of that. I mean, it's still going to be an intimate affair. I'm supposed to have a a family barbecue two weeks after my second Mm -hmm. shot, where I think almost every single one of us will be vaccinated. And it'll be the first time, like in a backyard setting, at least I'll be with more than, you know, I don't know, seven people. Yeah, I haven't done anything cool. I just went to a really crowded market and I was like, oh my, I I am going to run into you. Like I don't remember how to do this. I, well, we'll navigate together. We'll bumble around together and we'll figure it out. And hopefully whoever I bump into will just be like, oh, all good. I don't know how space works anymore too. Yeah, yeah, really. If you bump into me, I promise I'll say that to you back. Cool. <laughs> all right. First story on our list today is continuing the Godzilla versus Kong conversation because I think most of us went into Godzilla versus Kong thinking that that was the end of this iteration of Warner Brothers MonsterVerse and it turns out that it might not be because THR is reporting that Legendary is opening up early talks for Adam Wingard to return for at least one more MonsterVerse sequel and that report also notes that one title being uh, tossed around right now is actually son of Kong. So we could get more. How are you feeling about this one? I am not myself super familiar with son of Kong. So I don't have the enthusiasm that let's say some of like Collider staffer Vinnie Mancuso might have about this story. Um, but, you know, the big takeaway being that the MonsterVerse might not be over to that I am obviously team hell yeah. I love seeing my big smashy boys on the big screen or any screen, but you don't, I love the the giant monster movies sort of across the board, but you don't really often get them with the kind of effects and budget you get with this MonsterVerse universe. So I, I'll take as much of that as they'll give me. Yeah, I'll take more also. I was... Uh... I mean, I've pretty much been right smack in the middle on almost all of them, leaning towards positive on all of them. And, you know, it's been a little bit of a disappointment when the box office returns just haven't been there with the past installments. But this one was kind of perfectly positioned to be the the first big wow worthy return to theaters title. And I think it's paying off for them. And it's, you know, it's kind of cool that it's potentially earning this sequel based on the mixed results from both theaters and also HBO Max. And, you know, at this point, I start to get curious what they're going to do with this new movie. Again, if it actually goes through and gets made, 
are the plans to stick with the success that this one had or is is Godzilla versus Kong success, you know, very specific to this particular time in this particular year and can it not be repeated and I don't know. My my head's swirling in a million different directions cuz I'm I'm not quite sure how they release this next one. Well, sure. I mean guess where my mind immediately went to that is how the lived experiment experiments <laughs> the lived experience of certain major film releases can change the trajectory of that box office like predicting and what i'm thinking of specifically is how star wars doesn't really perform in china because it wasn't such a huge cultural moment for them so i wonder if by nature of Godzilla versus Kong becoming a cultural moment that can sort of rewrite what the future would be for that franchise. What an interesting comparison. I'm surprised I've never thought about that. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I think that people, if that's your first movie that you got to go back and see at the theaters, you're probably going to feel differently about the franchise than you may have before. It means more. It means something different. Hmm. That's, that is very true. Um, and even though that article pointed out and now of course i've closed that window but even though that article name dropped son of kong we do have some quotes on collider.com that talk about a a post credit the the post credit scene and Mm -hmm. i think that the thing with that is that it hints that adam wingard had some hopes to make the uh the next movie why do i always want to i always want to call it middle earth (laughs) Hollow Earth. Hollow Earth. Am I ever going to stop doing that? It is in the middle of the Earth. It's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I think there's there's quotes that suggest that he really wanted to focus on that as well. Which you know I'm super into, and he did. You know, a big part of him wanting to go there was your family might be in there, so that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the other thing we do have to consider with this story here is the fact that. Adam Wingard is a very in-demand director right now. And we know that he signed on to work on that face-off reboot. And then also the live action Thundercats film, mm-hmm. which they, they both sound like high priority projects to me. I would imagine those two would get the go ahead before he gets to work on this. So even if we do wind up getting another Adam Wingard, uh, monster monster verse movie, it's, gonna be a ways away I think yeah I well you know we've talked many many times about our feelings on Wingard's film and that we're generally quite positive on them um and I enjoyed what he did with it but I don't I don't have no problem with seeing another director put their stamp on the material if the timing doesn't work out I've really enjoyed that process of seeing these Mm -hmm. you know four different directors monsterverse and how they present the monster action there's something especially exciting about these particular directors all coming together on this franchise because they all have indie horror roots well not jordan yeah. roberts um his, his what, safety not guaranteed no um jordan Fort roberts is uh, the kings of summer yeah safety not guaranteed is colin trevorrow <laughs> Yes. I'm just mixing up my directors who made indie films and then went on to direct big franchise movies. Massive movies. Uh, maybe John Watts will do the next one. 
I mean, he, he did that. So, yeah, he made that move also. I yeah. wouldn't mind seeing a seeing a John Watts. You know, you know what I wouldn't mind seeing too. I mean, now we're just giving more franchises to more filmmakers who already have them. But you know, taking uh, Matt Reeves's apes sensibilities and maybe applying them to to this series seems like it could be a, a good pairing. But also, when I say that now, I'm just you know. I'm boxing a filmmaker in because I know he can do a certain something well, and I'm giving him a, you know, a similar visual effects challenge, which now I don't like that I said that. All right. Well, how about, let's see, the jump from indie film to studio franchise, my favorite film of last year. Let's see Emerald Fennell's King Kong. All right. We settled on something (laughs) that we like. I'll take it. (laughs) I know it would look great and I would not know what was coming. You know what I want to see? I'll I'll take this back. I'll take all that back. I want to see. I want to see a visual effects artist, with like an extensive resume, make his or her first feature. Yeah. In in a a bigger capacity like this, because I just keep thinking back to when Wes Ball made that move with the Maze Runner, and I think that paid off real well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so maybe a visual effects artist looking to to make the leap into directing a uh, feature film. There is absolutely no shortage of tremendously talented people. I would love to see the, do this. I got to do my uh, research and find some names. Yeah, and and if it does end up being Adam Wingard again, I'm obviously in for that too. I uh, We have a whole hour dedicated to all the fun we had <laughs> with that movie. Yes, all right. Next story, we are moving on to some spiral talk because there is a brand new clip from Spiral from the Book of Saw swirling around out there. See what I did there? And it's a talkie clip. <laughs> it's a it's a talkie clip like the clip before it. I think the clip is fine. It doesn't the first did you watch the first clip, Haley? The one with um uh chris rock in the in the police office police office the yeah police office the police station police station (laughs) a police officer (laughs) police station um i don't believe i did i don't watch a lot of clips honestly so that that first clip was the kind of clip that got me that got me pumped and excited for more saw because he gets the little usb drive and you know, he's got to put the USB drive in the computer and there's just a touch of humor in the moment. And then when the the thing plays, it's like, you know, officer so-and-so and and it explains a little bit of what this uh, Jigsaw copycat's mission is and and something about the repetition of the dialogue in that compared to the previous Saw Saw installments got me very hyped to see another one. This is a quieter moment between Chris Rock and Sam Jackson, which of course I'm happy to see, but it didn't have that same effect on me. Instead... Mm. I'm way more wowed by a certain bloody image that is <laughs> surfaced from the film that like, to be honest, I'm surprised they're even allowed to release something like that. It's so graphic. I, uh, it's the first thing I've really seen from the movie where I'm like, yup, that's Saw. Like, I am super zoomed in on it right now and, and, it, it's 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 a decapitated corpse with limbs going in all all which ways and i can't for the life of me remember ever seeing a promotional still this gory 
Not, I'm, I have seen them certainly, but rarely for a major movie like this. Um, like for example, I remember there was, I guess that was a pretty big movie too. There was a really gory shot that was going around for Overlord that kept getting us in trouble because it was so bloody. Um, but it is uniquely graphic. And I wonder if it's calculated in the sense that like you were talking about how that clip didn't really get you all that excited in the saw sense. And so far the promotional material has been hinting at saw more than play. It's like full of spirals and Chris rock. So I wonder if this is, was something to be like, yeah, it is a, it is a saw movie. Just in case you were worried. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, in talking about that, I was having flashbacks to when there was outrage over the the billboards for <laughs> the strain. The strain, yeah, with the eyeball thing. People don't like eye trauma. I mean, no, like I don't like eye trauma, but I don't know. I thought those billboards looked kind of cool. They were clearly effective. Yeah, um, yeah. I could see why you wouldn't want to see a worm in somebody's eye every fucking day on your commute. That is that is a fair point. Fair, fair point. In other Saw news, there is a report out there claiming that there could be TV adaptations in the works for both Saw and also American Psycho. I am over on Deadline right now, which has the exclusive on the story. And the way they phrase it, I want to get this right because it made me think one was further along than the other. Sorry. Um, There it is. All right. So this is from Kevin Beggs. He is the Lionsgate television chairman and he had an interview with Deadline and they said that he talked about Lionsgate's 360 strategy for mining IP um, that the Continental is part of and in that he revealed that a new series on American Psycho is in the works and also addressed the long circulating rumors about a Saw TV series. So while I find the quote what what's your your knee-jerk reaction to this update um so i do have his quote real quick on saw he said we're exploring what we can do in television with something like the saw franchise so that's a conversation and you're right it does sound like american psycho is further along and that's still a nebulous like maybe one day type thing Mm -hmm. Uh, my initial reaction is Saw makes sense to me as a TV series. American Psycho is a bad idea. That's my knee-jerk reaction to that. Why? Uh, because it's a, a scathing piece of satire that's completely self-contained and to me doesn't lend itself to episodic or extended narrative. I guess me. I guess maybe if it was a long running series, I would see it as being problematic. But I mean, I guess this is why I naturally thought of this when I heard this story, like a limited series. That's kind of how I picture it. Yeah, I guess that could make sense. I just, I guess I don't see what needs that in Patrick Bateman's story. Maybe it's not even about Patrick Bateman. Maybe they're just going to use the IP and do something completely different. But I just, um, 
I don't look okay the book is a whole thing that is one of the few books I've ever had to put down because it was too gnarly for me to keep reading and I had to take a little break settle my stomach and come back to it but I think the movie's pretty perfect I think it did everything it needed to do I think Mary Heron's a genius and I guess when I see that that is already so concise having read the book and seen the film and knowing what was cut from the book I don't have any desire to see that stuff added back in they probably would take it a different direction and I'm being a little too literal about it oh you know I mean you never know um just for the record I want to put those two sentences together he said we've just wrapped up dear white people which was a really good experience blind spotting is coming up American Psycho is in development then he says we're always exploring what we can do in television with something like the Saw franchise so that's a conversation so it's like in addition to him saying that's a conversation the way he phrased it made me think you know Dear white people just wrapped. They're going to shoot blind spotting next. And then the next one on the table is American Psycho. And, you know, I don't know if that's their specific agenda here, but that's what it felt like. And then it's felt like Saw is very much a conversation that could happen next. Right. I guess also what's helpful about that framing, so I'm glad you did that, is, um, sorry, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. So Dear White People is a really solid spinoff from that film that I think is probably better than the film and goes much deeper into the themes and conversations. Um, Blind Spotting is another really culturally minded property that's clearly going to have interesting things to say. And in the context of those two things, I feel a little less um, cynical about an American psycho series because I do think there's so much so I mean like the American Psycho was written about the Trump-esque figure of the 80s and seeing how that figure became such dominant obviously figure in our contemporary society and how that Wall Street sort of scummery has evolved and become more powerful than ever I think there's a shit ton to say about that so the context of those two other projects which are really thought-provoking interesting um ips does make me feel a bit more optimistic about it well you make me happy that i kept reading then (laughs) (laughs) all right on to the next one yes we've got a fairly good bloody transition here because we're talking about the the blood of the saw franchise and going to the blood of the boys because lazalonzo told our very own steve weintraub that season three of the show is literally three times bloodier than season two. Just so you can get his full quote here. He said, I'll put it to you this way. I was talking to the head makeup artist and she's in charge of ordering the blood. That's one of her many jobs. She told me that all of season two, when you talk about bulk, I don't think they used over a gallon of blood in season two, believe it or not. I don't believe it, if I'm being honest. Season three, we're already at three and a half gallons of blood. So that should give you a little indication of where it's going. Did they not need blood for the whale? Yeah, I don't. This, I'll be honest. This sounds like PR line to me. Like this doesn't add up in any way. Why would he be tracking the gallons on set? Um, But I think it's interesting in the context that that's, if it is a PR line, what they're selling, 
um, I don't <laughs> think I've ever watched the boys and been like, could be bloodier. You know what? That's my main <laughs> note here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if that's what they're, uh, if that's what they're hyping right now, I'm, I'm all for it. I just, I want to, I want to see the numbers. I want to see, I want to see the, the blood receipts from that. that yeah. Prove it. <laughs> prove it. Loud. Um, I don't, what do you, do you think that it needs to be three times bloodier? Like I'm not opposed. I'm just like, why is that such a selling point when oh. it's already so bloody? The way, the way that I would read something like that is there is something along the lines of a, of a whale type stunt where yeah, we're yeah. going to see, or, or if you want to bring it back to it chapter two, where all I heard about leading up to the release of that movie was how many gallons of blood they used for that Jessica Chastain scene. So I have a feeling it's going to be more of a set piece thing where we're legit going to see buckets of blood. That makes sense. Even though that wouldn't equate to three and a half gallons, would it? I don't know. I don't know how measurements work, Perry. What does a gallon look like? A gallon of milk? Yeah, that doesn't even seem like that much. No, I know. Like, I'm thinking buckets. Right. Show me your blood tank. (laughs) See that that's the kind of hype stuff that I would be interested in. Like show me these gallons of bloods, blood, gallons of bloods, the gallons of blood you have behind the scenes. Give me a behind the scenes shot of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm I, I'm intrigued, especially now that you framed it as it's probably uh one big set piece. I, now my brain's gonna be like, what well, which one will it be? So I'll, let's make a bet. I'm gonna bet that the set piece involves Homelander. I was just gonna say, I bet <laughs> Homelander does something bad. That feels That's like the one bet I'm willing to make. That feels like too easy of an a too easy of a guess. Well, I mean now I can't remember any characters' names, but I want to make an important point. <laughs> With the 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 character at the center of the reveal at the end and the head popping stuff, like uh-huh. how do you? All right, speaking of blood, you have head popping and a dead whale in season two. A yeah. gallon. I, I don't know if if Laz Alonzo is very well aware of how much a gallon is either, <laughs> right? I'm skeptical I'm skeptical and also you think back to season one like when they uh spoilers for anyone who hasn't watched it uh, earmuffs for like 30 seconds but when they exploded translucent like that was super bloody too yeah I want to just pick a random character right now to put at the center of of all of all the blood who who's like the least likely to be bloody Mm, what's the name of the character uh Oh gosh, and now I can't remember his name. Giancarlo plays. Like he's mostly Oh, um, I know, I know his name because I was just I was just writing up all those Aya Cash quotes. Oh right. Um Stan Edgar. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as uh someone you'd expect to be in the blood. That would be a surprise, I guess. <laughs> well, as you said that, I just immediately pictured his Mandalorian character, like standing in, in the center of like a, a big heap of carnage. <laughs> yeah, you know, but uh, Giancarlo can pretty much pull anything off. So I wouldn't be that surprised. I, 
I have a, a qu- this is like going off on a tangent and spoiler alert for Captain America, for, uh, geez, uh, Falcon and, I'm just going to say Captain America and the Winter Soldier now. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Were, were you as, um, as alarmed by seeing the bloody shield as I was? Because like, I know that was part of the point, but I also don't remember seeing blood quite like that in the MCU. I alarmed I found it effective but it didn't to be honest though I found the scene in the very first episode when Sam's just fucking killing people left and right more like jarring to me okay probably because of the presentation like that's obviously supposed to be a shocking moment for John Walker where yeah. uh, that's like presented as really heroic and I'm not trying to comment on the military or anything here but watching all of that I was like oh my god he just killed so many people I just and like I don't know what I'm missing but I feel I feel like I just don't remember seeing blood smear quite like that in the MCU before well that's you know they why they tend to make their big armies robots or space beasties with green goo in them that's fair that's probably that's probably why that's the case. I was just curious. Wanted to bring that up. Yeah, and I I mean it it is. I think you're right that it's probably the unless I'm forgetting something, the bloodiest outright moment we've seen, but it's no more violent. I mean it's a tremendously oh, yeah. violent franchise through and through. Yep. On to another violent superhero series. <laughs> we do love our violence yeah. here on the all right. The next one we're moving on. We're, we're moving on to the headline reads: James Gunn says he's loved making Peacemaker so much he might make only TV after Guardians Three. Let's find this quote for you here. So he said, "I think that the actual inspiration for Peacemaker was the shitty 1970s Captain America TV show that I loved when I was a child, and I think Peacemaker. Am I not reading the right quote?" <laughs> I might not be. Um, I'm going to keep reading it anyway. And I think Peacemaker exemplifies a lot of things about society that are going on politically and what people's beliefs are about America and the world. So being able to tell those stories that are slightly more socially conscious in their essence, but also outlandish, he lends itself to that. Where Where is the thing about him not? I think it might be a tweet. I'm trying to find it. I'm pretty sure it was a tweet reply. Oh, well... My phone's being Here, Here's the actual quote. I just can't find the, the source, I guess. I love doing Peacemaker. I could see just making TV after Guardians 3. It's a possibility. I'm pretty sure it's a tweet reply. Um, it's an interesting thing. I've also heard it before, and I don't necessarily buy it. I think it makes sense for a filmmaker to go through the television process and be like, well, that was a dream. But that and then deciding to never make a movie again when you love movies so much are two very different things. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I was thinking. And especially when you also add in the fact that, you know, I'm sure you had a wonderful experience on Peacemaker with that team. But he's going right back to another team that he's had a great experience with, because I think I've heard some, you know, very sincerely loving quotes about his Guardians of the Galaxy team. Mm-hmm. And he's about to go and make another movie with them. So I imagine all those warm and fuzzy feelings are going to come right back. And James Gunn will leave the door wide open to all of his creative possibilities in any format. I mean, this is um, during the press 
background for devs, Alex Garland said a lot that he didn't know if he wanted to make another movie again. And maybe it was mm -hmm. the pandemic that changed that. Maybe he came up with a great movie idea, but here he is making another movie, you know, not two years later. Um, any Anytime anyone says they're giving up some art form, retiring, I'm always like, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You love this thing. I'm with you on that. And then the other side of this is that kind of enthusiasm at least makes me super hyped about Peacemaker. Like I couldn't, I couldn't be more excited about the Suicide Squad and knowing that that's coming after, it's just, it is thrilling me to no end. I can't wait. It is exactly what I say every freaking episode of this show when I'm like, but what if they made a TV spinoff? Have you been getting those poker chips? No. I, like it, it sounds so silly. Like they're just like, teeny tiny plas plastic is that what poker chips are made of uh poker chips for a character each character in the suicide squad but warner brothers is very effectively leaning into the collect them all vibe which is something that my personality and interests it it's very drawn to and for I, I think I've been getting two poker chips in the mail once a month so now I have six and like, I am like a kid on Christmas morning when that package arrives and I can't wait to rip it open and see which two poker chips I got this time. And it's Very like, you, usually on, on social media, someone's already spoiled which chips I'm getting for me by the time they come to me, but it's like, it's still fun. So I just applaud them for coming up with, you know, like a simple, small, but very effective promo element to that. It's very cute. Um, I don't know how much promo the Suicide Squad needs. No. Like, it's not like any of the people they're sending to weren't going to cover the film, but I'm glad they've done something that uh, is clearly making people happy. And it is sparking a lot of online uh, social media like coverage of it. I jump back to the TV thing for a second, because like with this Peacemaker series, and then earlier we were talking about, you know, American Psycho and Saw being a possibility and we've got John Wick's The Continental coming up. And especially with HBO Max in particular, this seems to be like the first of that kind of model where they're gonna debut, debut where am I from? Uh, debut a, a film on streaming and in theaters and they've already got a planned follow-up series in the works. And I'm like, well, I guess my question, like how, transformative do you think that could be in terms of how people approach the making of those first films themselves like do you think it's gonna get to this point where they're making movies for the tv show i don't know i'm very I'm, I'm intrigued by how this is all gonna reshape the industry well that i mean that feeds into the curiosity about how theatrical distribution is going to live side by side with with streaming services too i also wonder if now that theaters are coming back you know god willing things stay fairly positive um if that could be a strategy for like if they don't want to release their movies on hbo max anymore in the same way which i believe they've said they're only planning to do this year yeah if that's their way to have like the best of both worlds is the movies go to theatrical only and eventually arrive on the streaming service, but then you're going to get a spinoff TV show. That is a, that is a very, a very, I think at this point in time, smart way to approach it. 
to have have your cake and eat it too. Sort of what uh, you know the MCU is already yep. doing, I guess, but just like reverse engineered a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. That makes that makes a little too much sense to me right now. That could be what they're thinking. It's intriguing. HBO Max is super fascinating to me. How so? Just because, um, well, first of all, they've done so much better than I thought they had any shot of doing in mm-hmm. a market that was already so saturated. You know, we've seen a Peacock and Paramount Plus kind of struggle to gain the foothold that HBO Max felt like they immediately did. Obviously, the decision to release um, at the same time was groundbreaking, controversial thing to do. Oh, what a dewy face. And... Um, I do think that that experience is going to reframe their production process in ways that we don't know yet. And it is very, like I, of all the things happening in media right now that I would most want to sneak peek at a year from now, I think I would choose what the hell is going on with Warner Media, HBO Max Theatrical, what are they producing, all of that. I wish I could see into the future and (laughs) all that. I want to look into the future and I want to know if there's going to be a streaming element of box office mojo ever added. Intriguing. How so? Like what would, what would be. I I want, I want box office stats alongside streaming stats, not money, obviously, but I want, I want statistics. Yeah. I want statistics like, you know, amount, amount of views, what constitutes a views. Um, I would love some accountability in the world. Yeah. I misunderstood. I thought you might, you wanted box office mojo to start making streaming content. No, I do not. Like, what is that? What would that look like? The life of a, of a, of a box office predictor. That sounds like a real thrilling series. <laughs> you just sit there and watch me, you know, fiddle away at a spreadsheet for an hour. <laughs> Gotta run these numbers. Hi. I mean, Moneyball is good, so maybe. Hey, that is a good run in numbers movie. You are right. <laughs> but yeah, of course, I, I desperately want some some actual streaming numbers to be available. Uh, yeah, I would like that. Do you want to move on to another Warner Brothers title? Oh, sure. I, I didn't plan any of these transitions. They were just naturally here. So we've got <laughs> quotes from Jason Statham talking about The Meg 2. And specifically, he told Steve that the movie is, he said, we're going to start shooting in January if I get my dates right. Ben Wheatley is the director. I'm very excited to work with him. I'm thrilled to get going. It's been a while. We've been waiting around for the right scripts to come in and the right director to turn up. And we've got all those things and they're all stacked up now. So Meg 2 filming in January 2022. Yeah, so I guess that sort of clears up the questions we had last time about how solid it was. It sounds pretty solid. It sounds, yeah, it sounds pretty solid. There, there's a little wishy-washiness in his in his answer, where you know, like if I get my dates right. So I'm I'm curious how close to a hundred percent locked that is. But it does it does sound like it's heading in the right direction. Yeah, it it's more. It's not a, we're already filming, but it is like, they clearly, they're not just talking anymore about should we make the movie? It's when do we make the movie? So I'll spoil some quotes that I haven't even posted on the website. 
because you know I'm sitting on that Jessica McNamee breakout for Meg too also and when I asked her if she's involved the way she phrased it is I think she she used the term um I'm not across it but she's eager to return sure all kind of thing it, uh, is it is it possible so what do you what do you think is more likely here are we going to see a Meg 2 with a different ensemble around Jason Statham? Or is it more a matter of Jason Statham is the headliner and is probably more involved in the development process and the original ensemble will be brought back into the fold eventually? I could really see that going either way, specifically because it was, you know, the first one was such an internationally targeted film. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely people sh- like, the selling point in general was Jason Statham versus a big ass shark, which I think is really all you need for a sequel. You can definitely recast to uh, maintain that international appeal if you need to. So I could see it going either way. What do you think? I would rather it not go the recast route just because I do like the cast chemistry of the first the first movie and I think at the end of their big adventure when the survivors are together there's that feeling of camaraderie that I really did enjoy and take to but I mean if you're just talking about the business of it all you're right all you need is Jason Statham against giant ass shark and you can do pretty much whatever you want around him and at least the draw to the movie will be there obviously that doesn't determine the quality of the film but the draw will be there yeah i also you know with when you're not bringing back the same director and when you haven't built out franchise characters like let's say the Avengers that demand to return, right? I wonder how much the the director might have uh, their own feelings about casting and bringing in their choice of actors, you know? Yeah, I'm trying to, you know, think back to the books. I mean, the first movie is already so different from the first book. And I've only read the first one and I lightly know a little about the second one because I was thinking about reading it after the the movie came out and just never did it for whatever reason. But it is, it's Meg, Meg the Trench. And you know, the only character that I think plays a, a fairly significant part in that is, um, oh man, now I'm forgetting the actor's name. Uh, his name his name is Mac. He is, you know, like a right hand of sorts to, to Jonas. Uh, Cliff Curtis, Cliff Curtis. And, um, you know, Cliff Curtis feels like he has a substantial part in the Meg where it could make a whole lot of sense or it, it could make the most sense for him to continue on. I also feel like Cliff Curtis is one of those actors that just universally everyone's yes. always happy to see him. It's yes. like, oh, good, he's in this. I I will confirm that. <laughs> Even my mom, like, she doesn't care, and she's always like, oh, I love that guy. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of those people where you'll always go, I love that guy. Yeah, he was good in the movie too. I liked him a lot. I have no good. I have no good transition for this next story. So can I just say, I'm so freaking excited about this one. Do you know what's next? Don't remember. <gasps> I'm surprised you can't guess. Don't, don't put me on the spot, Perry. We're going to have too much dead air. I'm not a good guesser. <laughs> Escape Room 2. Oh, Doug. Yes, of course. Whoop. Also, there were like 90 yeah. stories on the possible list. This week. All right. All right. I'll give you a pass. 
So apparently that movie's release date is moving up. So now it's going to hit theaters July 16th, which like, it's a little scary that it feels like it's right around the corner, but I'm excited that it feels like it's right around the corner because I've been waiting for escape room too, for a stupid amount of time already. I know. It's really funny how excited I am for this movie that I super liked, but like, there's no need for a sequel, but I give me it. I want more in the rooms. Uh, You could say there, but there is a need. There is a need. (laughs) There is a need. Like, I know that the ending of Escape Room was probably not the best part of the movie, Mm -hmm. but the rest of the movie was so good that that wound up upping the intrigue with that ending that I wasn't like super that the the sequel tease that I wasn't super in love with, but it still made me want more. I'm I'm so excited. I really hope it's good because. That's like, I feel the gamble for some of these movies that got delayed so long is like, oh, you better be good. We waited so long for you. Uh, the hype is so high. Same for like Spiral and Candyman. There's kind yeah. of that, oh, you better be good. I, I have a lot of faith in this one, not just because I liked the first one so much, but because Adam Robitel is back. Yeah. And I do, I do think he is only going to deliver a certain uh, level of quality in his work or above. And also... You know, we may not need Escape Room 2, but that concept is so cinematic and the possibilities are so endless with those rooms. That's it. That, like, yeah, you got a good excuse to make a franchise right there. And I, I think I think they can do it. And they have a good cast too. I'm so excited to see India Moore, who I love from Pose in this one. And then Isabel Furman. I'm always down to see uh, her in more movies. I just, I, I really do think it's one of the most, like, could, has the potential, let's say, to be one of the most prolific high concept horror ideas people have come up with recently, because you really can make a million as long as the set pieces are good. I will buy a ticket to the next one. I'm, um, yeah, <laughs> that, that ticket was sold the second I saw the first movie. <laughs> I'm so hyped. I'm so hyped. And I mean, so... I think it's a smart release date. It's like a pretty prime summer release date, not going up against the July 4th competition. And it's got, it's got a a bunch of good comp titles to test the waters before, because we'll have, you know what? I mean, we were just talking spiral. We'll have quiet place part two. It's going to get a good sense of what the possibilities are leading up to that release. I know we're, we're hopefully well past the, the days of release date shuffling in that sense, but just in case it's it's got a good sense of what the uh you know the playing field's gonna look like it will have a good sense all right I'm excited. and i will probably see that one in a theater so yay i can't wait i'm gonna, hopefully things stay good i'm gonna see spiral in a theater i want that to be my first <laughs> yeah, oh, sounds so romantic i know really but i am kind of romantic <laughs> about it um next story yeah All right, let us talk about that Dexter teaser. Oh, yeah. It was short and sweet. There wasn't much to it. But I'll tell you, when they announced that this was happening, like, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I didn't hate the Dexter finale, but I definitely was underwhelmed by it. So at this point, did I really need more Dexter in my life? Nope, did not. But then I saw this teaser. I'm like, huh. I'm really excited for this guy to come back. So you know what? 
I want more Dexter. I'm on the exact same page and I'm very impressed that it made us both feel that way because it's like 20 something seconds long. But for me, it was the sense of playfulness that the series lost towards the end that made it a huge dragging bummer all the time that was there in earlier seasons. It was like a mischievous show when it started. And I almost feel like uh, the Trinity Killer storyline, because it was that was so well received and it was so devastating and like uh, serious stakes, it like altered the course of the show into a much less fun direction. And this is cheeky again. Yeah, that's what that's what that really felt like. To like even in twenty seconds, it managed to have a sense of tone, <laughs> convey a sense of tone, and I liked it. I did too. And I did make me go, oh man, I missed this character. Yeah. I didn't until now. And that's all they needed to do. That's all they needed to accomplish with this one. I mean, pressure, pressure will be on when a full trailer comes out and it's more story heavy, but for now, job well done. Yeah. I'm pretty much sold. Um, And great to see Michael C. Hall back at it. Like not that he hasn't been working, but I just feel like he really, really shines in these long series performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he did a couple over the last, what has it been, like 10, 15 years since Dexter went off there? But they're not, like, the shows didn't take off like Six Feet Under and Dexter did. Yeah. Um, and I, I miss them. And I, I, I do think he's just so suited for television. Like, I love his his character work over seasons dex dexter and six feet under are you know they're all timers pretty special stuff well for anybody out there who wants to see this the dexter revival will be released in the fall oh my god that's so soon everything's it's gonna be such a crazy year like no i can't believe it's almost may i know it's nuts all right let's do another one how about the david cronenberg story Oh, yeah. You've got information on his next film, which I couldn't believe he hasn't made a a, directed a feature film since 2014 with Maps to the Stars. I thought Maps to the Stars was more recent than that. That was the one time I got to interview him on a phoner. So I remember it very vividly. Jeez. All right. This next movie is going to be called Crimes of the Future. And will reunite Cronenberg with Viggo Mortensen. And it also stars... Kristen Stewart and Scott Speedman. What else do we got here? Principal photography is slated to begin in August. And now here we go. In a press release announcing the film, Cronenberg stated, I have unfinished business with the future. And uh, the film is set in the future where humankind is learning to adapt to its synthetic surroundings. The evolution moves humans beyond their natural state and into a metamorphosis, altering their biological makeup. Uh, The description continues that while some embrace the limitless potential of transhuman, others attempt to police it. This evolution known as accelerated evolution syndrome is spreading fast. That sounds so Cronenberg. I can't handle it. I also think that I'm so, maybe I'm just idiot, but I think that I have unfinished business with the future is one of the best quips I've ever heard. Like that is a perfect string of words. It is extremely 
Cronenbergian or Cronenberg-esque or whatever, but it is just like, to me, that reads like a, like a Dorothy Parker quip. It's just excellent. I love it. I, yeah, I love, I love everything about this story. I'm so and excited. Course, as Kristen Stewart goes, so goes my nation. She's of course. So sign me up for anything any of those people do. I was just looking at um shit, what's the big movie that she comes she is coming out later this year? Don't ask me questions, Perry. Oh my god. I don't know. Why do I try to recall information off the top of my head during this show? A very high profile project that I'm gonna be able to tell you what it is real real soon oh it's the it's the princess diana movie and it's called spencer oh right but Um, i'm you know i'm starting to see that when you know uh pr places send out their upcoming slates and i feel like when i get those upcoming slate emails it like makes something feel so soon and that's one that i'm i'm really curious to see what she what she does with that role definitely i mean that's gonna unless it's very, very bad, going to be a big deal given current fascinations, uh, always fascinations with the royal family, but that is so recent and so directly tied to what everyone is currently fascinated by. Um, But this is definitely more my shit than a Princess Diana biopic. Like, no, give me me David Cronenberg's beef with the future. (laughs) That's what I want. All right, I'm looking at our list here. We have a couple of images left. Any of those images really pique your interest? I don't think, all right, I know this isn't what you asked, but in terms of images this week, I really don't think you can top the saw image. Just no, I know. So, so over the top. You know, that's um, why I put these other things lower down on the list. For sure. Okay, <laughs> I will say, um, I don't think we need to go in depth about the Army of Dead posters. We've said a lot about this movie yes, that we, we have. have, but I will once again just have to say absolutely floored and in awe and in love with the use of Tig Notaro in this film. That poster is a masterpiece. I would hang it on my wall. <laughs> um, as for the images, neither, none of them are like overwhelming, but it is, we did get some more teasing of the green night, which I think everybody's super like mm-hmm. hungry for. Yeah, I'm just. But they're not not exciting images. They're just like Dev Patel looking. I know. I mean, see, like this. You know, I'm always happy to see Dev Patel. But this was this was one of those ones that could have used an an image that was a little spiral like. (laughs) Yeah, a little spiralier. Yeah, yeah. Please, I like I like a spy spy. Oh, I'm not. I'm not gonna just. Yeah, I'm just gonna (laughs) stop. Just gonna stop there. Hey guys, can you tell we're taping on Friday again? <laughs> we're ta- we're taping on Friday because we're busy ladies doing, doing right. some, good, some good stuff this week. So maybe that's a good transition as we wind this down. What have you been working on? Um, what have I been working on? Well, a million and one streaming guides because you know it's the new month. Um, I will say that this week I will be my. Sh- Weekly streaming guide specifically is the new movies on Amazon. And it did give me an excuse to finally watch The Towering Inferno for the first time. And what a film, what a fucking film. Um, I told you this already, but for the dear listeners who are not privy to my every dumb thought, I had no idea it was three hours. I just sat down like, I'm gonna watch a little little A-list disaster movie from the seventies, got up to the restroom, like an 
hour and a half in and there was still an hour and 20 minutes to go. So plan your time accordingly if you want to be like me and check it out for the first time. But really, um, some of the most phenomenal effects and stunt work in terms of how well it's held up, like, what is it, 50 years later or something? Really phenomenal. That was such a fun watch. Um, so if you're looking for movies like that and other films on Amazon Prime, I'll have that coming up this weekend. I also wrote up some quotes we got from the director of Stowaway, which was <laughs> Netflix's sort of really bleak new space drama. And he had some interesting things to say about why it's a hopeful movie that I'm not sure I agree with. So you can yeah. like read me through, try to work through my thoughts on those quotes if you want. Did you like Stowaway? I did not enjoy watching it, but I actually, in retrospect, think it's a pretty solid film, and I appreciate the approach to the material. It's a survival movie, and it's a grim one. If you saw Arctic, you have an idea of what to expect. Mm -hmm. It's the same filmmaker, same uh, co-writers, but it did grow on me. I like the concept, but I did not have fun watching it. Where did yeah i i'm probably in the same boat ish i don't know i was like really into the concept i was disappointed by how it was executed because it felt like to me the characters were the same people that they were when they started like when i when i met them i didn't see much change and i wanted a little a little more in the exhilarating set piece department like i really like what they did in the third act but mm -hmm. ultimately in the end like, I think it would have worked really well for me, except for the fact that I felt fairly empty in the end. Okay. I don't think I took much from it and it made it not worth it to me. I get it. Cause it's like a demanding movie. It doesn't, there's not like a release valve for the tension or sadness that continues and continues and continues to build. I had a very similar reaction to In the Earth also. Like that movie is a damn workout. And I like, I just felt like crap in the end. Yeah, I haven't watched that one yet. I'm not, I don't want to be in that headspace unless I have to for work right now. Understandable. I should go check my mushroom log that I hid. That's what they sent for that movie. <laughs> and I just like, I tried to follow the instructions and I just leaned it up against a tree in the semi shade. And I should, but I like, I don't really know how those logs work. Are mushrooms going to grow on it? I'm going to go and check after this. I think it might take a little longer, but yeah. they should. I like results now, now, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should plug something. I know what I should plug. Collider Ladies Night with Emily Van Camp, which I think the episode might be up and running and available to you when you're listening to this podcast. Don't hold me to that double feature but i think i think it could be a double feature i'll leave it at that but it was a lovely conversation she is super cool and i am excited that the mcu is giving her some different opportunities right now i like how she handles the fight scene i'll tell you that damn right that container one was oh, yeah. bad ass good stuff i loved it all right that's it we're out of here, and that means you have officially survived the witching hour. <laughs> <laughs>